Amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and take your seats? If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series uh, called Christianese. Thank you, brother. We've been in this series called Christianese, where we've been examining words that are often used in Christian circles that you know of when you're in those circles. And listen, uh, everybody has their own internal language, their own, you know, kind of internal things. Um, you know, how you guys, I think, are classified now as, was it, Gen Zers, right? And some of you are like alpha, kind of going into that. I was just reading, I was laughing about this with the church yesterday. I was just reading, I'm in this little micro generation, like my, where my years that I was born, where I'm not a Gen Xer and I'm not a millennial, so they've categorized us as geriatric millennials. So basically, we're like grandpa millennials. We're like super, super old millennials. And I'm like, that's messed up. That's not a flattering. You could have just said like wise millennials or elder millennials, but you had to be like, oh, you're geriatric. I'm like, dude, that sounds like I need a cane. Um, but regardless of all that, uh, you know, there's, there's dialogue. There's certain words that I'm like, I have to look up to find out what you're saying. I'm like, what does cap mean? I have caps. It says, apparently I have no cap when it comes to this situation. Like, I have to study it. And so I look at other friends of mine. And like, Why is my kid saying this? I'm like, oh, it means this because I feel like I'm in the know, right? But that's because you have an internal monologue. You have language that you use that is known within your community. And so Christian is no different. Within the Christian community, there are words that are used so often that we stop forgetting or stop realizing that some people may not know what those words mean. For example, we started this series with the term in Jesus' name and the fact that we always end prayer in Jesus' name. And if you're curious as to why that is, you can go back on YouTube or Spotify and watch that sermon and really get an inside understanding on what it means to, to say in Jesus' name and why we do that. And then we got a couple of others, but tonight there's one in particular that I want to touch on because it affects something that we've been working on as a group. I want to talk to you tonight about the word offering. Offering uh, is a word in church that's often been used. Hey, we're going to collect the offering or get ready for the offering. And I don't know how many of us have ever stopped to really understand and think about what offering is. Offering is more than money, but most times when you're in church circles, you're talking about a collection of funds. Offering is a sacrificial gift that is offered freely unto God in many cases through monetary means or financial means, meaning hey, we're going to give money so that the work of God can continue. Now, many people would say, well, why does God need money? Okay, well, God chooses humans to do his work. God chooses us, believers, to accomplish the work that he has here on heaven, which is the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ, raising up disciples, and sending them out to go tell more people about Jesus and make disciples. And so in order to do that, Things have to get paid for, like the fact that we're sitting in air conditioning, that had to get paid for. The room that we're in, that has to get paid for. The lights that are on, the salary that covers things, like all these things are covered with offerings that the people of God have given in order for the work of God to accomplish. Now in the Bible, it goes into tithes and offerings, and I don't want to spend too much time uh, on tithes, but tithe is an obligation the Bible tells us that you are to give 10% of your income of what you make is supposed to go to the building of God's house. Most of you don't have jobs, so that's not even a thing for you, really. It's not something that's on your radar. But offering, that's not an obligation. Offering is something you do freely. You choose to give or you choose not to give. And it's solely unto you. And a big part of that is because offering is about the measure of your heart. 
right? If somebody has to give you something, that's not a gift, it's an obligation. And so when we give to God, especially financially, it's a sacrifice. Now, I think there's a big reason why God chooses money in that case. Um, If you read the New Testament particularly, Jesus spoke more about money than he ever did about love. And part of that is because he understood that most people love money more than anything else. Matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say, uh, you can't have two masters. You must love one and hate the other. You can't serve money and God. And many people, they're like, hey, I'll give you my time, pastor. I'll give you my talents. I'll give you my heart, but I'm not going to give you my wallet. (laughs) And now I'm saving up for these new shoes, or or I'm saving up for the PS5, or or I'm trying to get some Air Max or some AirPods and, uh, you know, Air something. Like, I just, I can't. I can't give. Or the other thing is, I don't have any money. Like, right? I don't have anything to give. And so I can't afford to give you anything. And again, God knows your heart. And I think when it comes to giving, it's more about the heart than it is about the monetary aspects of it. And Paul kind of had to address this in the Bible. So if you read the book of Corinthians, this is a letter that Paul is writing to a church that he established in Corinth. And in this second letter, 2 Corinthians, he's addressing something that had happened before. There was a situation in Jerusalem, another town, and they were raising funds for that. And, he's, and the Corinthian church had agreed that they were going to give an offering for that. But for whatever reason, it hadn't happened yet. And so Paul sends somebody to go collect the offering as a gentle reminder. Hey, remember you said you were going to give? Like we're kind of we're banking on that. And I thought about that because the truth is about a month ago, many of you who are in this room, we got together and we made a commitment to give. Each of you individually, and when we added that up corporately, it came out to 42519 It's a huge number collectively, but one we trust and believe that God is going to help us to do. Now, on that night, there was a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, a lot of, yeah, God can do it. But the reality is over time, that can just kind of drift away. And you can kind of forget about what God spoke to you on that night. And you can kind of forget about your commitment. And a month or two later, it's just not even on your radar anymore. And I think the same thing was happening to the church in Corinth. And so Paul writes a letter. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, he's making a case. He's he's trying to remind them, hey, listen, this isn't an obligation. This is a sacrificial love offering that you're giving, something that you freely want to give. You should finish what you started. You should stay the course. Be committed to what God told you, all that good stuff. But then I love that towards the end in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he appeases to a good thing. Because I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to money, you can guilt trip, guilt trip people into giving. Like, hey, you know, God really loves you, and, and if you don't give, that means you don't love God. Well, I don't know if I can go that far. I'm sure there's a lot of people who love God who don't give. But what I do understand is most people who love God do give, okay? But I don't want to guilt trip you, and I don't want any of you to feel like, oh, well, if I don't give... Pastor Joy is going to think I'm a worse Christian or, or, you know, they're going to think less of me or anything like that. No, listen, that's not the means. That's not the purpose. Because, again, God doesn't need your money. This is something that he's doing in your heart. And so Paul later on towards the end in verse 12 through 14, he kind of brings it down to why we're doing it. Because I think if you can get to the matter of why, it's easier what you need to do. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12 through 14, listen to what the Bible says. He says, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. So if you give, there's going to be two really good things that are going to come out of it. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. 
and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Listen, there are some amazing results, benefits, if I should say, that you're going to receive from the ministry of giving, from the heart of generosity, from being willing to give an offering. And, you know, I touched on it a little bit. Um, what we're doing as a ministry is we're giving to something called Speed the Light. We're part of a fellowship called the Assemblies of God. And within the youth of the Assemblies of God, one, we all give to one thing called Speed the Light. And that provides missionaries with whatever means they have necessary to preach the gospel. So if they need a truck, if they need a camel, if they need a kayak, whatever it means to get to these people groups who have never heard the gospel or who there is no presence of God in there, this is what we provide them with. And so there was one missionary, he bragged about how he was the first missionary to eat his vehicle. They gave him a camel, and then after his camel got a certain age, they had to eat it because in the area that he was in, there was just no food. So he's like, I rode my Speed the Light vehicle, and then I ate my Speed the Light vehicle. And I'm like, yo, you wild, homie. Like, I don't know if I could just be eating an old camel like that. But that's the situation that they were in. And yesterday was National Speed the Light Give Day. And a lot of you for the last month have been putting a lot of effort into raising money for that. I know a lot of you have already turned it in, which by the way, if you haven't turned in your money, I just need you to grab one of those envelopes behind your seat. You can put it in that envelope and just mark it down with your name, your small group, and how much you're giving. And then you can turn that in. We'd appreciate that uh, just so we can give you credit because guess what? We're going to be keeping track over the year, not to like be like who gave and who didn't give, but we got a lot of really cool things planned for those of you who are giving, and we want to make sure that you get credit for that. And so if you are giving whatever you're giving, I don't care if it's 20 bucks, if it's put it down in the envelope, we want to give you credit for that, mark it down. But yesterday was National Speed the Light Give Day, and uh, we started hearing a bunch of really cool stories of what people were doing to give unconventionally, right? There's just one kid who sold his laptop and gave the $1,500 to speed the light. There was a group in, I want to say Oklahoma, was it? I forget which state. But they did a um, pig wrangling. So they got into a giant pen, and they let loose a 200-pound pig, and they had to go capture it and tie it up. And they raised like a 1000 something dollars for speed the light with that. There was another buddy of mine. I don't know why all the farm people do this. There was another guy. He was wrestling calves. And so literally just baby cows that needed to be caught. I won't tell you why they needed to be caught, but... Uh, Right. And so they had to catch these calves and they had to wrestle them down and they raised a ton of money. Uh, All this stuff was going down. There was actually a district youth director who sold his BMW and gave all the money to speed the light for mission. So I think yesterday alone we got I think over two hundred thousand dollars came in for speed the light in one day as a result of what we're doing. And it's still building. We have yet to give our money. And there's a couple other youth groups over this week that are still giving This is an unbelievable, amazing thing, right? But why are we doing it? Well, in our case in particular, this year we're giving towards uh, water wells that we're building in Africa through an organization called WorldServe. As a matter of fact, through the partnerships that we have, we have organizations and groups, professional athletes, NFL players, NBA players, who have gotten together and are willing to match what the Assembly of God youth do in this year up to $3 million, meaning if you guys as a group as through the nation raise $3 million, they'll give us another $3 million. Like that's how people are willing to partner with us. And I want you to kind of see why a little bit. I actually went on the WorldServe website, and I want you to see this uh, quick stats that they have just so we can kind of get a picture into what's going on when it comes to water. 
So this is what we're doing, Give Africa Water Sanitation Crisis Facts. There's an estimated 790 million people who lack access to clean water in the world. That two times, that's two times the population of the United States. So twice as many people that live in the U.S. go without clean water. In the sub-Saharan Africa, 319 million are without clean water. Women and girls spend up to six hours a day walking to retrieve water for their families, on average walking 3.7 miles each day. 20 million people in Kenya lack access to clean water. Nearly half of the population of Tanzania lives without clean water. 50% of people in Ethiopia are living without equitable sanitation practices, i.e. they don't have running water or toilets. At least 10% of the world's population consumes food irrigated by wastewater. Wastewater is sewer water. So the stuff that all the pee and the poop goes in, that's what they have to use in order to get their crops to grow. Access to clean water and sanitation is proven to reduce anxiety, the risk of sexual assault, and the loss of educational opportunities. In developing countries, as much as 80% of illnesses are linked to poor water and sanitation conditions. For every $1 invested in safe water and sanitation, a yield of $5 to $28 U.S. is returned in increased economic activity and reduced health care costs. In other words, for every dollar we give, we give them an opportunity to become self-sufficient and provide for themselves. That's just a snippet of some of the stuff that goes into it, on top of the fact that nearly 2,000 children die. Is it 2,000, 200,000? I want to say 2,000 children die every day because of a lack of clean water, just because no water. And again, you know, we kind of, in America, we get really hype over what was going on in Flint and how come you haven't dealt with Flint yet? And I'm like, listen, Flint at least can get bottled water. These people have no access. There's just no way. Half of some of these countries have no possible water at all. So if we can do just a little bit, right, if Carolina could do a couple of paintings, if Ara can build a few keychains, if the De Leons can make a few tamales, if we can do a little bit of something, right, cleaning some shoes and, and, and creating some rings and making baths, like if you could do these little things at what, take up all of a half a day, and that means one kid gets a sip of water every day now, that's amazing. I actually felt bad when Sal gave me the water because I was just thinking, wow, it's just, I have people bringing me water. I don't have to walk 3.7 miles every day just to get the water for the day for my family. And again, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to say we have an opportunity to actually make a literal positive effect on that. Not figuratively, not possibly, but a, a real incentivized, actionable plan to make sure that those numbers are reduced and that people have access to one of the most basic life necessary things in the world water. I'm saying all that because I want you to understand when you give, there's somebody else on the other side of that giving. When you give, something good comes out of it. And there's even good for you. So I want to go into that verse again. And I want to look at a few things, four things that are benefits for you and I when it comes to giving. Number one, needs are met. When you give, those needs are met. It's important that we understand that life is more than just what you need. Because I think we get confused need and want, right? You don't need a new pair of shoes. You want a new pair of shoes. You don't need new clothes. You want new clothes. You don't need a car. You want a car. You do need water. 
You need to drink water. Matter of fact, that's one of the things the doctor told us. We're like, oh, she's being a picky eater. Like, she can go a day or two without eating. She just can't go that long without drinking water. So as long as she's drinking fluid, she's okay. Like, that's how necessary water is. And so I say all that because it's important to understand we have an opportunity to meet someone's needs. I think it's easy for us to not care because we don't have any personal interaction with these individuals. But if you were to actually fly out there, stand in that community, and look them in the face and tell them, you know what, I was going to help you, but I just couldn't come up with anything to do, so I did it. Hey, I I was going to help you guys get a well here so that you wouldn't have to walk every day and, and so your women wouldn't get assaulted on the way over there and so that some of your girls could finally go to school because they don't have to spend half their day going to get water. I, I was going to do something, you know, but, um, you know, I just, I don't really know why I didn't. I just didn't. If we look them in the face, I think it'd be a lot harder to admit that sometimes it's just because we were lazy. We have an opportunity to meet needs. Listen, Acts chapter 20, verse 35 And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. Hey, I just got to let you know, if you want to meet needs, you got to work hard. It's not going to happen just accidentally. If you want to meet needs, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to do things you're not used to doing. You're going to have to, you know, well, I, I don't want to put myself out there. What if people say, no, I'm sorry, but work hard. I don't want to put myself out there. What, what if I, they ask for too many and then I can't keep up? Work harder then. Like, again, well, let's be honest. We're not working that hard. We're not sacrificing 60 hours of our week in order to do this. But are you willing to take it out of your comfort zone and to work a little bit harder if it means that a need is going to be met? If it means that someone is not even just going to receive water, but the opportunity to hear the gospel, to have an interaction with believers, to be able to move forward and have the things that we take for granted on a regular basis, needs are met because sacrifices are made. And if you're willing to take yourself into that initiative and say, listen, I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. I want to make sure that I give freely. And again, I'm not even asking you to give out of your own money. I'm not telling you to give us your your life savings. I'm not saying to sell your Beamer. That would be dope, but I'm not telling you you got to do that. What I'm saying is, are you willing to work hard to raise money so that others can have it, so that needs are met? The second thing we notice, he said, not only are needs going to be met, but God will be glorified. God will be glorified. I want you to take a second. Actually, close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to picture this in your mind's eye. I want you to picture a person, maybe a young girl, 10 years old, who most of her life has spent six hours a day going back and forth to get water. That's her daily routine. She can't read and she can't do math and she can't go to school because she's needed at home to go and collect water on a regular basis. And I want you to imagine this well gets built in her area. And it's the first time her community has fresh water. And I want you to picture this little girl is there the day that this water well opens up. And everyone's super excited and everyone's super hyped. And they pull the first cup of water out of that well and they hand it to this little girl. And this little girl grabs this beautiful cold cup of water and takes her first sip. Could you imagine the emotions that would be flushing through her body? Not just the taste, not just the feeling of having a nice cold cup of water on a hot day. But the feeling of saying, I don't got to walk anymore. 
don't got to fight anymore. I can go to school now. I don't got to be worried about somebody attacking me and hurting me. You can open your eyes now. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic or manipulative. I'm trying to say that's a reality of what will happen. In that moment, I guarantee one thing will occur. God will get glory. Because that little girl won't know your name. She won't know who you are. She only knows who you represent. And so in that moment, I can just picture her saying, thank God. The most natural thing somebody can say, quite honestly, even an atheist will say it. Thank God. Why? Because when we give, God gets glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Yes, you will be entrenched in every way. I'm sorry, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Do you notice the Bible is clear? He's saying, hey, I'm going to give you not so that you can have more, but that so you can give more. And when we take those gifts that you've given and we hand it over to those people, they will thank God. As a matter of fact, a lot of these wells, they're going to be built next to Assembly of God churches. So imagine our community had no water and the only source of water was going to be built right in the church parking lot. And every day, people from all over our community are going to literally come to God's house because they need water. And in the process of getting physical water, they might have an encounter with living water. They might have an encounter with God. Every day, there's a chance and an opportunity to preach the gospel and let it be known because the very place where the water is going to be is where God's house is built. God will be glorified. This is one of those beautiful things that we get to do, that we get to partner with. And God will be glorified because you made keychains. Because you, you said, hey, I'm going to shoot 100 free throws and I'm getting people to sponsor me for every free throw. Because somebody in some hick town wrestled pigs and wrangled calves. Most of the time, we're actually going to have fun while we're doing it. And yet God will get the glory. And let me tell you, you may never get the credit this side of heaven. But as long as God gets the glory, you'll understand it was worth it. The third thing that I see is not only will the needs be met and God be glorified, but it will be proof of God's work in you. It will be proof of God's work in you. What do I mean by that? Well, talk is cheap. Right? A lot of times we say, like, I love people and I love God. And, and, and I, you know, I love to serve the Lord. And it's like, uh-huh, here's an opportunity to do it. Because a lot of people talk, right? There's a lot of talkers in the world. People talk a big game and, yeah, I could do this and I could do that and da-da-da. Okay, let's see you actually do it, right? I saw Pastor Jason was wearing a, a Steph Curry shirt and there's people that are arguing like, LeBron's a bum or Steph Curry's a bum or da-da-da. And it's funny because we can have those arguments, right? None of us are getting on the court with them, <laughs> We're like, okay, Pastor Joy, you take the shot. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen, bro. I don't care how good you guys are. Really, we're just not at that level. And so talk is easy. But can you back up your talk? It's easy to say, I love God. And I love God's people. Okay, are you willing to do something to show that you love God? Not that you have to prove it, but that that proves your love for God. Right? People will be able to know, people will be able to understand that it's not just talk, you're actually doing it. That's why, you know, if you look at most sports teams, the one that you hate the most is not the trash talker, it's the trash talker who can back it up. Larry Bird, he's one of the, my favorite all-time basketball players because he just don't even look like a basketball player. They called him the hick for French Lick because he was from French Lick, Indiana. He was kind of, you know, this uh, homegrown country boy. But boy, he talked mad trash on the basketball court. 
There's the actual audio of him. There's one play where he goes up. He goes, hey, check it out. We're going to do a bounce pass from over there. I'm going to run around the corner, go baseline, stand in the corner, shoot the shot in your face, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. And then he did it. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And the guys are like, what am I going to say? I mean, he talks trash, but he backs it up. Okay? Listen, you can talk all you want, but are you willing to back it up? You can sing the songs that we're singing in worship all you want, but are your actions going to back up your words? Are you going to love God that much? Are you going to give yourself away? Are you going to do all those things to show that you're not just speaking facetiously or, or just making it up, but realistically you mean what you say? James chapter 2 verse 18 says, Now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Right? I'll show you what I am by what I do. And so this is one of those things. How can we call ourselves Christians and not do the Christ-like thing? How can we say we're a community and not come together when we have a project like this? When we have an opportunity to make a difference? When we have an opportunity to make a change? And so listen, it's, it's one thing when you say it and you profess it with your lips, but do your feet and your hands back up what you think and say? There's a lot of people who are willing to take the name Christian, but aren't willing to live the life of a Christian. It's important to understand because we are represented not just by what we say, but by what we do. This is what, one of my favorite quotes all time was, um, the most hardest thing in the world for an atheist are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door with an alternate lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world truly finds unbelievable. What is it saying? It's saying the reason people don't believe in God is because they don't believe in you. And the reason they don't believe in you is because you say one thing and you do another. And this is one of those opportunities when you go on social media and you say, hey, I'm raising money because I want the gospel to be proclaimed around the world. And when I want people to know about Jesus and I want people who don't have clean access to water to have clean access to water. And I want to help make sure that the sex industry isn't going on anymore. I want to end that. I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to come to the Lord. When you start saying those things out loud, suddenly you got to start backing it up because people are going to realize, oh, you're a Christian. And I think, quite honestly, the reason we don't is because we don't want to paint the bullseye on our back. We don't want people to call us out for being what we think we want to say we are. And all I'm telling you is, you don't need to be afraid of that if you're living up to who you say you are. And you're willing to live up to it. And the last thing is this. We talked about the fact that the needs are met, that God will be glorified, and that proof of God's work will be in you. But the last thing is this. Prayers will be made for you. There's an actual return on this investment when you are willing to give freely and trust in the Lord. One of the most unrecognized needs in your life are the prayers from others. The prayers that others make for you that you don't know about. Romans chapter 15 verse 30 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. One of the things we benefit from this is the people that receive the benefits from our giving, they'll end up being the people who pray on your behalf to God. It's kind of a crazy thing. 
there's this thing that we describe as unchurched or unreached, which is another level to it. And an unreached people group means this is a group of people, a community of people in the world who have never heard of Jesus Christ at all, ever in their entire life. They have no idea what that is, who that is, what Christianity is, no clue whatsoever. We have an opportunity to reach those people through the missionaries that we support and the efforts that we put into things like this. Now, the irony is when those people come to know the Lord, part of their gratitude will result in prayer for you. Could you imagine that there are people around the world who don't know you but are moved to pray for you through the Holy Spirit? Had a buddy of mine who one time he was praying and he was praying in his prayer language, which is a heavenly language that God gives you. It's a personal thing that you do to edify. And so he's just praying and suddenly he says, he feels like he's, he's speaking like, like a ghetto Italian. He goes, it just sounded like I was speaking Italian. It was so weird. And I kept repeating the same phrase over and over again. And so I actually eventually asked one of my Italian friends, I said, hey, does this mean anything? He's like, yeah, that's this small island right outside of the mainland of Italy. He goes, why? Man, all of October, I just kept praying that, and that just kept coming to my heart, and I just kept praying it over and over again. He's like, are you serious? Like, yeah, why? There was revival going on on that island during the month of October. There were pastors that were going through having these giant meetings, and people were getting saved by the thousands throughout the month of October. You had no idea, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you were praying and interceding for those people that you never knew and never met. This is how God brings all these things together. That you might be going through a situation and there might be somebody in Tanzania who you've never met and never will meet this side of heaven, who will suddenly be interceding and in a prayer language praying for you and you won't have any clue. But they can't pray for you if they don't know the God they're praying to. And we have an opportunity to do that when we join in with what God is calling us to do. We do this because of our love for God and because we are led to do it by the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to tell you this because I want you to understand when we accomplish our goal, and I don't want to say if because I want to trust God and I want to trust you. When we accomplish our goal, we'll have a lot of benefits from it. The fact that needs are met, the fact that Uh, God is going to be glorified. The fact that there's going to be proof of God's work in your life, that prayers are going to be made, and all that is wonderful and all that is true. There is one more bottom line to why we do this and the benefit to it, and I'm going to ask Pastor Jason if you can help me out. All those things are great, but really there's only one reason you should ever have for giving, and it has nothing to do with what you're going to receive. It has everything to do with what you've already received. This incredible gift that each of you has. If you go to the next verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, he says, thanks be to God for his incredible gift. Thanks be to God for his incredible gift. Well, what is he referring to? He's referring to Jesus and the gift of salvation that we receive through our relationship with him. Now, I'm going to talk right now directly to the, the Christian, the one who genuinely has a relationship with God, the one who believes to his core, to her core, that she is redeemed, that he is redeemed by the blood of the lamb, and that they have a relationship with Jesus. Listen to me if that's you. 
There's no greater motivator than what you've received in that gift. Because when you understand that I didn't deserve it, I didn't earn it, there's nothing I can do to pay him back for it, that it is a free gift that I've received while I was still a sinner and while I was still messed up. That while we were in our worst place, God died for us so that we could have eternal life with him. That simple fact should well up in gratitude to the point where whatever you ask of me, Lord, the answer is yes. And let me just take it into practical terms. Again, I've, I've mentioned this in the past, but there are a couple of times where uh, my dad will be trying to do something. He's got to fix something in the house. And I'm like, Pop, how come you don't fix that? And he'll just look at me and go, I don't have any money for that. And sometimes it's like a serious thing. I mean, what do you mean you don't have any money for that? Oh, I, I, I got this money on the credit card, and I'm, I got to pay this bill back and this bill back. And, you know, they're living on Social Security, and they're retired. I go, Pop, you don't ever have to say you don't have any money. I'll give it to you. How much do you need? No, I can't do that. Da, da, da. And I know in their pride, they never want to take my money. But in my love, they can have anything from me. Because they've given me everything. They've provided for me for so many years. They've given me so much that if I were to add up everything they gave me through all my years of growing up, if they were to tally all the money that I've taken from them, all the food that I've eaten from them, the time I've lived with them, if they were to give me a receipt and say, you owe me this, I could never pay them back. So if my dad says, hey, Joey, can I get 300 bucks to fix the window? Yeah, fix all the windows. <laughs> Like, whatever you need. You're, you're my parents. Yeah, whatever you need. You took care of me. You love me. And I love you. So I take that then into my relationship with God. And when God looks at me and says, hey, Pastor Joey, would you be willing to sacrifice this amount of money so that someone else can know you the way you know me? Yes, Lord. Yeah, of course. I don't need any other motivator. I don't need a promise that you'll bless me. I don't need a promise that you'll give me more. I don't need to be assured that if I ever need money, that you're going to come and help me out. God, you can take everything. You already have my life. What else is this? When you have that kind of freedom, can I tell you something, young person? You become utterly and completely dangerous. When it comes to what the world wants to do to you, when it comes to what the enemy tries to do against you, you are so dangerous because you can't be bought. You're already sold out to God. And trust me, God still benefits you. And God still blesses you. And God still takes care of you more than you deserve just because he loves you. And because you love him, giving should never be a back and forth issue for you. Offering should be something we freely give sacrificially because we love God. And I want to give him this, not to pay him back, but in a small way to say, whatever you want, it's yours, God. Whatever you need for your will to be accomplished, I'm your man. Pick me. Ask me. So here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. You know, I thought about this here at Excel. We haven't taken an offering in more than a year. Now, I'm going to be real transparent and honest with you. Your offerings have never been enough to really do anything with. You just don't give that much. 
Sometimes it'll be 30 bucks, 50 bucks. And I'm not trying to belittle it. I'm just saying we can go a year without your offering and the church can keep moving. And most churches, quite honestly, they don't put a lot of stock in youth ministry because the youth ministry doesn't put a lot back into the fabric of the church, at least financially. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's the reality with a lot of places. But for me, it's never about the amount that you give. It's about teaching you the heart of giving and making sure that you're willing to give a sacrificial offering to the Lord because that's what God called you to do. That's what God called you to be. Now, again, I never want you to give because you feel like somebody's twisted your arm or someone's manipulated you or someone is forcing you, you can keep it. It's no problem. What I am saying is if God asks you to do something, even if it's to give the last five bucks you have, would you do it? Literally, the last five bucks I had, I used to buy a ring off of Maya. She said, hey, I'm selling a ring. So how much is it? Six bucks. I have five and I borrowed a dollar from Haley. Why? It wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't even think about it. You're doing something, I'm going to support you. And I've said it to every one of you, and I say it again. My wife and I are 100% committed. If you are doing anything for Speed the Light, we will be the ones to give to you. And I've already given to plenty of you, but there are some of you who are doing something you haven't told me. Come and talk to me after service. We'll give you money. We want to support you. We want you to know we believe in what you're doing, and we want to be among the first people to provide for it. But what I'm saying is, if God is speaking to your heart, would you be willing to listen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take an offering tonight as we close. And again, I'm going to ask you, just close your eyes again, just so you can hear the Lord and not hear me. But in a moment, I want you to pray and really ask God, what do you want me to give in the offering tonight? Some of you are like, hey, I don't have any cash. I can't give anything. All right, maybe God asks you to bring it tomorrow. And I'm not saying you got to give a million dollars. Come on. The Bible is clear. Don't give what you don't have. Give what you have. But maybe, hey, you were thinking about going and getting some McDonald's after service. And you're saying, instead, I'm going to use that 10 bucks and I'm going to give it in the offering tonight. So far for Speed the Light, people have turned in almost 500 bucks. And as I was praying, I go, God, what if we can reach 1,000 tonight? Just because people were willing to give sacrificially. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to just begin to talk to the Lord. And I want you to ask him, God, what do you want me to give in the offering tonight? And again, I am 100% honest. If it's two bucks, give two bucks. If that's all you got, if you got 50 cent, give 50 cent. But just give what you feel God's called you to give. I'm not going to count. I'm not going to check. This is just an offering we're going to do. And if you have speed the light money, all I ask is that you grab an envelope and a pen, mark it down so that we can give you credit for it being speed the light. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you have something, I'm going to ask you to just come up and drop it in the bucket and then just stay up here. And we're going to take a time or two to worship and to thank God. And even if you don't have anything to give in the bucket, don't feel bad. I still want you to come out of your seat and I want you to worship with us. But I really want you to challenge you to be faithful in what God is calling you to do. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your word. God, this isn't my opinion. This isn't my thoughts. This is what your word says. And God, you have tasked us with an unbelievable task when it comes to what we're doing for Speed the Light. God, that offering, quite honestly, in human terms, it doesn't seem like anything we can do. But it's just what you can do. 
So God, I just ask, help us to believe in you. Help us to trust you. Help us to not forget within a month what you've asked of us. Help us to be committed. Help us to work hard and to give not out of obligation or out of a guilt trip, but just because we love you, God. Because we want to see those needs met. Because we want to make sure that your will is accomplished. Because we want to be part of the solution, God. And just because you asked us. So Lord, I pray even now as we give to this offering, Lord, that this offering would be given over to our missional project. Lord, I just pray that people would hear your voice right now and do exactly what you asked them to do. Nothing more, nothing less. So Father, I pray, speak to their heart. Give them ideas. Give them clever ways. Give them unconventional motives or unconventional ways to raise money and to do what you called them to do. God, that these would be world changers, not world complainers. People that see the problems and become part of that solution. We thank you for all of this. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.